what I always say, it's, it's really like getting a job, you know, going to volunteer somewhere. It's about finding fit. You know, is it the right fit for you? Does that create a meaningful experience for you? Is it something you're passionate about or could get passionate about? I think another aspect that's really interesting to think about is how do you get more engaged with your community around you? Hey there, everybody. It's 2023. Welcome to the Destiny Benders podcast. We have returned from our winter break, and we're ready to bring you more stories of international educators who are changing lives and bending destinies. Girish, it's good to see you again. It's been a while. How was your break? Very, very good. Happy New Year, Jessica. Happy New Year, everybody. It is so good to be back. 2023 is shaping out to be a good year so far except for the weather. It's been snowing here. But uh, no, I'm excited. It's been, I had a really nice break. As always, I try to spend a little bit of time reflecting on the year and kind of uh, visioning for uh, the coming year and talking to my staff. And we're doing a lot of cool things this year. We're adding to the team. So all exciting stuff, but really, really excited to get back uh, to Destiny Benders and talk to a lot of cool people. Yeah, I am too. I missed I missed our Destiny Benders podcasting. I was ill for nearly the entire two weeks uh, over oh, the Christmas New Year. Yeah, so I was in bed much of the time. Um, but thinking about guests that we can invite to the podcast and getting back into recording, so I'm really looking forward to it. And we have actually already recorded our first episode for 2023. Really excited. Spoke to a former college buddy of mine. Samir Shah, who we will introduce properly in a little bit, but um, thought it would be good to have him on because in a new year, people often have New Year's resolutions. And one of those might be to change lives or to get involved in something that's helping to change lives, volunteering being one example of that. And Samir can tell us all about it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. And it's kind of cool that you haven't seen him or talked to him in ages, have you? I think it's like nearly 30 years. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, it'll be great to connect with him. Uh, but, you know, I'm also excited that this year we're going to expand our uh, guests in terms of the kinds of work, work that they're doing and not necessarily traditional international education, counseling, et cetera. So that yeah. really is exciting me as well. But yeah, so let's go yeah. talk to Samir. Welcome back to Destiny Benders. Today, our guest on the podcast is Samir Shah. He is the Vice President of Partnerships and Customer Success at volunteermatch.org. Samir, welcome to the podcast. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out here. Samir and I used to go to college together. We went to the University of Texas in Austin. And Samir and I actually haven't spoken to each other in about 30 years. <laughs> so I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. The power of LinkedIn is what connected us again after all this time. I saw that you're working at volunteermatch.org and it intrigued me. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to reconnect with you. So that's why I reached out. So we're really excited to have you on the podcast today. Welcome uh, to the podcast as well. I'm, I've never met you, so I'm really eager to hear about your journey, but also maybe some juicy gossip about Jessica in college might also help. <laughs> <No>. So <laughs> with that said, uh, kick us off. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today as a VP of Partnerships and Customer Success at VolunteerMatch.org. 
Well, um, considering uh, I've been there for 17 years, <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of a long journey. And um, yeah, uh, I was thinking about this because I knew we were going to do this podcast. And I was like, oh, gosh, I, I feel like I have such a, a weird journey into the nonprofit space. Um, and then, you know, having been in it for now for a very, very long time. I think one of the terms that's used now is more commonly to describe what we're doing is like social impact. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a coming together of different industries and entities from companies, uh, for-profit companies, nonprofit organizations, governmental organizations that I really never had a clue about. As I whatever went to college, like with Jessica, was uh, in the work world, uh, I started off in technology. And actually, my first job uh, while we were in school together was doing Windows 95 tech support. And so from there, I went into like actually telecom sales when I got out of school. And then I ended up working at South by Southwest during the dot-com boom, basically uh, running their whole sales, uh, marketing, media relations for the interactive festival, which was an amazing experience and really got me excited about what technology can do and the impact software can have. That was very, very, I guess, inspiring and interesting. And at the same time, I had this desire to want to I don't know, know things about the world, know things about my past. And um, I ended up wanting to be a ancient Indian history professor. So <laughs> that's actually how I ended up in San Francisco. I ended up going to the University of California at Berkeley and um, worked with like these amazing Sanskritists and um, Indian history professors. And I would say like, within like a year and a half or so, maybe it took me two years, I realized that that was totally not what I wanted to do. <laughs> so um, and part of that was I became aware of politics, social theory uh, that was going on there in the fields of like anthropology, sociology, um, basically all the social sciences uh, and liberal arts. So all of that stuff was kind of combining in what my, actually my degree, I think was like titled Masters of Asian Studies. So again, I learned a lot I think in that time about different entities and industries and how they operated together. And there it was more, more perhaps like on the governmental level, uh, it was really fascinating. Yeah, combining all that, I, I just recognized like, you know, studying ancient Indian history was kind of like, you know, satisfy me. Plus there's, sadly there's like the information is limited. And then like, what kind of impact are you gonna end up making on the world? I guess I thought I was gonna like discover like truths about the past that, you know, would be important for us. And I think there is a lot of that that's going on right now with um, figuring out what you wanna do in your life kind of experiences that people are having. But yeah, so, so when I ended that, I, I just knew that I wanted to do something that was impactful and actually like tried to get a job working on the basically now non-existent anti-war movement. I was really, really stoked on trying to get this job. I, I like dressed up in a suit and it was, it was not the right thing to go into this nonprofit wearing a suit, frankly. I didn't, it was a, it was a development position. I didn't exactly have the skills for fundraising. I even remember like FedExing my like thank you letter to them. Anyways, I didn't get the job, but I knew like I wanted to like, you know, do something more in the nonprofit sector because I'd already worked in corporate technology. Actually, the, the company I worked for uh, when I got out of school called LDDS WorldCom. When I left, it was MCI WorldCom. And I don't know if you know anything about WorldCom, but it was the equivalent of Enron and uh, just a really you know shady kind of company, uh, especially at the top end. I, I think part of me was jaded about that whole experience as well. Actually, having interviewed with all these nonprofits, I was really having difficulty like getting into a nonprofit. Yeah, then then I got this job at Volunteer Match. 
And it really had this amazing combination of entrepreneurial spirit and you know, doing things that are innovative and creative with technology while you know, trying to make an impact in the world by helping volunteers and nonprofits connect. Yeah, that's really like what happened to get me into it. And then from there, I guess I kind of just like stuck around. <laughs> you know, I, I, I remember like when I moved to San Francisco in 2000, um, people would talk about like I, like I met people that like literally had like three jobs because it was the dot-com boom and you could, and there's probably people that are doing that now. And maybe some of us are doing it out of necessity or, you know, uh, but maybe some people are um, doing it out of just the, the ability to actually do it. Uh, can communicate on Zoom and uh, you, know, you don't actually have to go into the office. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely feel like, you know, there was multiple things I had going on over my tenure at Volunteer Mac when um, I didn't have as much like, you know, kind of intense responsibilities like I have now, I would say. Yeah, we, and we've just gone through a ton of transitions over time. And I think the biggest one is probably we, we had a new CEO come on board in May um, after mm -hmm. our longtime CEO had left. So, so what does Volunteer Match do? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So Volunteer Match, um, volunteermatch.org, uh, we help connect volunteers and nonprofits over the web. And one of the most powerful things that we do, we're, we're, we're mainly focused on the U.S., but we do have a lot of international organizations that do come on to Volunteer Match and they can register uh, and post volunteer opportunities. But large majority of our traffic um, comes from the United States. And so if you go to Google right now and you typed in volunteer, I imagine, Garish, you would see Volunteer Match as the, the top thing in Google. Um, not sure about you, Jessica. It definitely gets different outside the United States, but it's... An amazing place to be able to be is like have that kind of like visibility on you know pretty much the way most people search. Uh, so through that, like a lot, like we have, I don't know, something like seventy to ninety thousand volunteer opportunities on Volunteer Match right now. Um, if you look at the actual like number of volunteers that are needed according to the nonprofits, it's probably like around nine million. There's wow. uh, the pandemic's been really impactful. Uh, like the research we've seen and some of it in conversation with other entities like in, in, in the field, like the independent sector, which is advocacy organization for nonprofits in general in the United States. Um, yeah, we're looking at like on a, over 10 million people that are uh, you know, not volunteering that were perhaps volunteering before the pandemic. And maybe they're doing things in different ways. I mean, there's the whole like mutual aid definitely rose up in a big, big way. And um, but yeah, that, that, that I would say is like the main impact uh, just or the largest amount of impact we make uh, via our public website that gets that incredible amount of traffic. Then the other piece of it is really uh, working with companies, uh, governmental institutions, um, or, or local. We do have some relationships with federal government as well as uh, like the state of California. We have a partnership with them. So what I was talking about before with all these different like, um, yeah, like we live in an, an incredibly complex world now. And uh, there's a lot of different ways uh, organizations come together and collaborate and so um, we have technology that allows um, what you see on volunteermatch.org to show up in other platforms um, across the web. And so uh, actually LinkedIn, for example, um, LinkedIn's head of social good, uh, Meg Garlinghouse, is on our board. And we have an integration uh, where any nonprofit that posts a volunteer opportunity on Volunteer Match will automatically, if it has skills in it, will automatically have that opportunity appear on LinkedIn. 
Um, and then there's other partnerships we have. Um, uh, not sure how familiar you are with the world of uh, corporate social responsibility, which has been um, growing, especially from an inv investing point of view. Um, but I think also from a regulatory point of view, is a marketplace for workplace giving um, uh, where uh, employees can give back either through time or through monetary donations. And uh, we're partnered with basically everybody that's um, significant in that area in the United States, at least. And most of those companies are actually starting to, uh, or, or are operating globally because they support organizations that are global. And um, basically any of these employees at these companies can go into these platforms and find these same exact volunteer opportunities and connect with those nonprofits. The title of our podcast, as we explained, is Destiny Benders, and we talk about people who are changing lives. And your website is a destiny bender, in a way, because Absolutely. it's changing lives. So you, I think you said there are sixty to 70,000 opportunities, but the need is 9 million. Did I hear that correctly? What's really cool is you can find this out like real time, like right now. And I'm actually really proud of the fact that this is... Um, available so if it, like i'm just doing it right now because i don't remember the exact numbers uh, but there's there's obviously so whatever the numbers are there's a huge mismatch between the number of people on your website who are looking for opportunities versus the need that that is out there and i think for the new year because this podcast will air in the new year people might have a new year's resolution to get more involved to 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 volunteer to be that change make that change Bend destinies, change lives. And you've just, you know, illustrated that with Volunteer Match, which is predominantly, as you said, a US focused website for all volunteer opportunities. But, you know, you may grow, there may be other opportunities out there. But a large number of our listeners are based in the US. How can they get involved? What do you suggest they do as somebody who works at volunteermatch.org and who really wants to make those connections? Yeah, it's really cool, actually, what's possible here. So, um, and, and just to give that number, and you can go to the website and type in any country, and you would see what volunteer opportunities are available in that country. But in the United States, there's, yeah, 69, almost 70,000 opportunities. So those are like different things you could do. And um, according to the nonprofits, that translates to about nine and a half million um, volunteers that are needed. And so... There, one of the things that happened definitely during the pandemic was like it was, it was it was significantly impactful from what I just mentioned before with like the the large number of volunteers not volunteering as much and a lot of that is understandable related to like COVID, um, but so there's virtual volunteer opportunities also so you could you know especially with now people being more distributed or not working in the offices as much um, there's those opportunities as well so you can you can go to the website you can you know figure out if you want to look for something that you would actually go in person or if you want to do something virtually or both. Um, and then there are a lot of filters as well, which allow you to um, hone into different causes. So if you're interested in animals, for example, you could you know, very easily find an animal volunteering opportunity or the environment. W one of the interesting things I'll just mention, because you're big, you know, how do you what, what are you know, what are you what are you going to do or how do you get interested in, in what you're going to do? related to volunteering. And what our website provides really is a way to drill down and filter and look through all these different types of opportunities. And with 70,000, basically, you know, every single like part of the nonprofit um, uh, sector is represented uh, is represented in volunteer match. 
it's really all across the board and whatever makes you interested, um, you can do. And so you can also drill down into whether or not opportunities would be good for groups or um, family or kids. Uh, there's definitely you know, those aspects of it. Um, you know, some opportunities, like, will, especially if we're working with children, will require background checks or, you know, the, there, the, there's um, like Meals on Wheels, for example, you, know, you need a driver's license, uh, all those sort of like factors and items. It's really like what I always say, it's, it's really like getting a job, you know, for a uh, going to volunteer somewhere, it's about finding fit. And, uh, you know, is it the right fit for you? Does that, you know, create a meaningful experience for you? Is it something you're passionate about or could get passionate about? I think another aspect that's really interesting to think about is um, how do you get more engaged with your community around you? Gosh, like, you know, what we're doing right now, podcasts, you know, everybody's like listening, watching videos uh, on their phones. Yeah. How do, how do we get back to like just having human interaction in person? Um, you can put in your zip code. Um, obviously, it's going to be a little bit different right now, at least outside the, the US. But, um, you know, as long as I'm here at Volunteer Match, my hope is to, to get there to where, you know, the same impact that we're having in the United States, we could have in other places around the world. Um, so. so Samir, that that brings up two questions in my mind, right? And maybe it's, um, the first question is maybe just my ignorance. I feel like volunteerism is more entrenched in the U.S. Uh, than mm. in maybe some other parts of the world. And I'd love for you to comment on that. But then something you just said prompted something for me, you know, primarily my work is uh, focused on helping students discover their own future careers and their, you know, mm-hmm. their passions and whatnot. Yeah. And I know Gen Z is really into social causes now. And so I'm, I'm curious if, if there should be more effort at the school level to get high school kids more engaged in their communities and do more volunteer work through which they maybe discover some of their passions as a part, as opposed to just reading a textbook or just kind of you know, exploring on the web of, oh, what do I, what does it mean to be a cardiac surgeon? I mean, I don't know, right? I'm just throwing it out there. So can you comment on both of those? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I feel like a lot of things in life, uh, you know, whatever you end up in, whatever experience you end up in could end up, you know, directing you or giving you insight into like, you know, uh, whatever is going to drive your passion. And so much of it's like serendipity and luck, I feel like. W- one thing this made me, th- your, your question made me think about was um, how actually for, for, for some kids with some parents, it's like standard operating procedure that they would be volunteering. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, it, it was reminded me of like, I went, uh, there's, a, there's a little hill nearby here in San Francisco called um, Mount Sutro that I always go run and hike up and I'll, I'll volunteer there and, and do trail work there. And it's like, a mile and a half, two miles, two miles from my house. Yeah, like I know the people that all work there or, or volunteer there. That um, there's a thing called Sutro Stewards that that helps manage the the hill and like the open space. And I just remember this one time I was there, and um, uh, a couple of kids showed up, and their parents just like dropped them off, <laughs> you know, to 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 go and and volunteer there. I, I wonder about that. Like, you know, so for so, so for some people, it's it's like um, something that's built into uh, their practice as they're growing up. Uh, where for other people, uh, it's maybe something they kind of like fall into. Um, and then for other people, like they could be doing it and they don't even really know it. And, and one way that um, that reminds me, perhaps one of my first volunteer experiences was actually working on um, 
the mayoral campaign in uh, Houston, Texas. Uh, taking, I think it was like probably 11th grade, maybe 10th. Uh, I was I was uh, taking a government class, and you know, one of the requirements was you had to go and volunteer on some campaign. And so um, I ended up going and doing that. One thing I'm really interested in is how do people get engaged? Like, how do people get into volunteering? You know, how do we, especially if we have like a 10 million person gap, how do we get more, uh, get more people back to that? Yeah, I, I think with schools, like, I, I wonder, and I, do, I don't know this for sure, it, like how much of like my experience still happens for people. Uh, like I have an 11 year old daughter who's in, in, in middle school right now or just started. Um, it's not clear to me, like the same sort of things happening. There's like different groups where it's more, you know, part of their ethos versus other groups where it's not, it's so not how to yeah, get those folks and how to spread that word that this is really an amazing way um, to feel good about giving your time. That's not related necessarily to money. And I think that's like a really interesting point too. I don't know how much you two have talked about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation or if that's come up at all. Uh, no, but it's, fun- <laughs> but it's such a fundamental, I think it's so fundamental to volunteering in general, how that comes up. Cause like, you like that standard, standard operating procedure, um, type of parent where volunteering is like expected. It's also like, you know, a way to put things on your, um, whatever CV, um, I don't even know what they call it for students, but your know, resume, uh, yeah. that, you know, you're active and engaged. Um, actually when I was in high school, cause I went to this like magnet high school, I remember it was kind of tiny. I remember, you know, we, we were actually like making up like clubs that we were in to put on. I think though, Girish, you have a really good point about how some cultures in some countries it, and like in the U S oh, I did it, not answer that question. Well, it, what, the way you were talking, it, it kind of, it tweaked something in me because, so I did live in Texas as a young person, but my parents are both European from two different European countries. So I grew up in a very European way of life, even though I was maybe in Texas and volunteering is definitely not something that my parents ever instilled in me. They never volunteered. I didn't volunteer. It just isn't something, even though I lived in the States, but a lot of my American friends and co-students or whatever you want to call them, that was very, like, it is very much. And as you just said, Samir, to put it on your like college application, you know, there's so many students who have all these layers upon layers of volunteering that they've done because it's almost requisite to have that on to even get into college now. Right. So how do you get that outside of the U S so in the U S people are volunteering, but in Europe and elsewhere, not so much. How what do you think you could do as volunteer match to possibly kind of spread that word or instill that in people? Yeah. I mean, I think it fundamentally comes down to the need to answer that question. Yeah. It seems pretty clear to me that it, it relates to, you know, what services are provided in any country. And so in the United States, um, there is a very big difference between, you know, the United States and, and countries in Europe um, in terms of like healthcare. Do that example. Uh, so there's all these nonprofits related to the fact that, you know, uh, healthcare is not basically a part of, um, what would Bernie say, human rights. So, uh, but that that is, like, I think culturally what what is happened. And the one thing I noticed, and this is very, like, I, I, I hesitate to even say this because I don't know what the exact reality is. And I've talked to different companies and organizations that have worked in different countries and, and try to figure out volunteering in different places. So 
uh, India, for example, um, being Indian, which I have, uh, even though I was born in Texas, such a great affinity to, there is this uh, culture that developed around democracy and civic engagement um, that's really apparent even now there, uh, where it seems like there's perhaps more volunteering taking place there versus maybe like Germany and uh, where there's a lot of these social services that are already provided by the government. And so there's not a place for the uh, nonprofit NGO to step in and, and meet a need. Yeah, I mean, I see that a lot. You're absolutely right, Samir. I mean, I do a lot of work in India and I see students now in high school wanting to be more involved in their communities than I remember when I was a kid growing up in India. So I, I see that for sure. But going back to what Jessica was saying, there's this almost the need to just to do something so you could put it on your college app. So I know you're talking about intrinsic motivation. So I try to talk to students about do something that's meaningful, not just to put it on your resume, because it makes mm -hmm. no sense to do that. And just don't do it for a certificate of completion, right? Do it because it's meaningful. You actually get something out of it. But I want to go back some of the things you're saying and kind of tie back to your master's in Asian, you know, studies or whatever yeah. you're doing. So you, you you look at Asian cultures, or I don't know if you can compare and contrast, you gave Germany as an example. Does the the religion, the culture, all of the elements that make up different parts of the world, do they have an impact on how those people live in terms of their community focus, their need or want to give back to the community? Anything? I mean, I don't know if going back, is there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like another, like you're, you're reminding me of, you know, my own um, background. Uh, like I was, I was born into the Jain tradition. I, I don't know how much you know about Jainism, but um, I, I still remember coming uh, to the Bay Area, right around the time, um, there's there's a really cool temple that the Jane's Jane people built in um, Opitas, uh, which is um, down in the south, like San Francisco is like a uh, on the tip of this big bay. Opitas is down in um, the south part of the bay, and they built this really cool temple when I first moved here, and they had the um, Pratishtha ceremony where mm -hmm. you put the idol into place. It's kind of crazy, like it. it it's crazy for me to say this, but I, I almost feel like it's like a like a rave kind of experience or something like that, where it's like all of a sudden like people are like so into it and um like this incredible like uh religious experience that I also got to connect with when I went there and they did that. And so many of those people that engage in that, engaged in that experience or you know, helped make that temple a real reality in the community that's around it, they they all volunteer their time to 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 go do mm -hmm. that, you know. So that's connecting the dots with like the um, Asian community here in the United States. That, um, but I I, I know that di diasporic community is doing that all over you know, the United States and around the world, actually, yeah. uh, or at least the Jains and yeah, you know, just like other religious communities would would be. And so in the United States, it's actually like a huge, huge thing where a lot of volunteering takes place through um, uh, through your church or your synagogue or there's just or a Gurdwara, so you know, like, yeah, 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 exactly. Or, yeah. Or you, so you're Sikh. Yeah. No, I'm not Sikh, but I know oh. the, the whole, oh, I'm, okay, I'm guessing okay. you're talking about a Baps temple, like Swaminarayan temple in Mopitas. Oh is, my gosh, I haven't even thought about that. No, 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 I mentioned Gurdwara because every time there's something that happens, I see the first people 
to volunteer to do something are the Sikhs, and they're really committed to their communities so strongly. Yeah, the, the, the Sikh journey into the United States is really interesting. And um, what I was trying to remember was um, Dilip Singh Son was one of the first um, Indian American Congress people. But I, I think it was in the 60s. Uh, basically, he was a, a, a Congress person, which is kind of wild to think about. But to your point about the Sikhs and, and volunteering. So they, they do a lot of protests uh, here in front of the Indian embassy. And there's this whole community of um, Sikh farmers, basically, in the Central Valley in California, right across the street, there's a park from my house. And so when they do these protests, like these families and stuff, they'll all line up and they'll have all this food. And um, like, I don't eat meat, but I do have a beard and it's been bigger at times. And I <laughs> literally would be like across the street from Iran and I want to like go over and hang out and like, you know, eat some food. I think that that is like another important, you know, point that's part, I don't know, I, want, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm curious about, you know, this change that you said you see in India and how much that is related to some of the uh, different religious movements that are there. Well, what we always do at the end of our podcast, Samir, is kind of switch tacks a little bit and ask a few what we call quick fire questions. So this is not related to volunteering or destiny bending. It's a couple of questions about you. I'll ask you the first question, just quick fire off the top of your head. Um, can you tell us what it is that you like to do for fun? What's a hobby of yours? I run a lot. You run? Yeah, a lot. I like to do ultra marathons. So. Long distance running. Right. Mm. That's crazy. <laughs> Mine was going to be a little bit more deeper. Okay. I want to go back to again. I was, I'm so intrigued by your master's degree that you did. I mean, going from technology to master's. And I know MCI. They were MCI Sprint out of Kansas City. And I know the whole. Yeah, that's right. Came, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's not my question. My question, I'm curious, is if you go back to all of the studying you did and comparative religions and all of that, is there one philosophy that you learn that you've continued to use or remind yourself of and say, this is my driving force, what would that be? Yeah, I'll share two. So definitely from the Buddha, uh, just the the middle path, like I, I like I always go back to that like concept and you can use it in different ways, but um, fundamentally it comes back to just like figuring out how to have balance in your life. And then a really cool concept from Jainism that I, yeah, I think really informs like even this conversation we're having and what I've been communicating with you is uh, anekantavada, which means um, multiplicity of viewpoints or not one viewpoint. I think uh, that's really important with what I'm doing in my work, but just also how we live in the world and some of the controversy and polarization and stuff that's going on is that like, you know, everybody's just basically not, you know, like no one's empathizing. Uh, no one's like considering other people's viewpoints. And so it makes it really hard. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. It was nice to meet you. It looks like you're doing some wonderful work and good luck with that. I hope you can expand it internationally. Uh, and I'm just curious if given now the whole Zoom life that, that we're living in, if there's volunteers that can virtually participate in all these opportunities at these organizations. Yeah, there, there's a ton. Just to maybe I can go look at it. <laughs> the numbers, at least in the United States, yeah, there, there's almost ten thousand volunteer opportunities that are considered virtual, with uh, mm -hmm. almost a half a million people needed. And so, uh, one of the things that we're going to be focusing on in the new year is the fact that there's like sixty million people that are probably going to be now mostly working from home. And mm -hmm. um, one of the things that nonprofits definitely need are 
you know, skilled and talented people to come and help them. And so um, just leaning into some of the ways we've worked with the corporate sector, um, we'll continue to be doing that. So there's tons of ways to get engaged um, virtually. And, you know, that could be an interesting thing, too, from a global perspective for you know people to be able to engage around the world. Mm -hmm. We have listeners all over the world um, who listen to our podcast, so I'm sure some of them would be interested. And as Girish said, thank you so much. It's been really nice to reconnect with you again. Do you ever get back to Texas? I was there in June. I got to go back. I feel bad. I haven't gone as much since the pandemic. Mainly, Jessica, I missed the queso. You missed the queso? I missed the queso, too. You don't get queso in England. Thanks for listening to Destiny Vendors. In the next episode, we speak with Tanya Mishra, the CEO and founder of Sure Start, an organization that is dedicated to training and mentoring high school and college students from underrepresented communities in AI. Be sure to listen. Listen.